0: My parents' divorce, my toxic relationship with my father, uh, my childhood dream of going into the Air Force, being snatched away a couple months before high school graduation, when Rika and I, after three years of dating, broke up momentarily and then ended up getting back together later, when uh, I academically failed in my junior college years, when I worked for an insecure and deceitful boss, financial hardships when bills were uh, way more and outweighed the income, infertility, uh, being a young youth pastor, getting ready to step in front of hundreds of people in my community in California to do a funeral for a young man whose life was taken by his father. These are some of the moments and seasons of my life where I felt great pain. I felt discouraged. I felt overwhelmed and absolutely in over my head. And I guarantee all of you can relate to that on some level. That you have had or are in a moment where you are discouraged, you're overwhelmed, there's pain, there's hurt, and you just feel like you are in over your head. And inevitably, someone is going to come up to us in a very well meaning way and they're going to say this Don't worry. God won't give you, finish it with me, more than you can handle. Right. How many of you have had that said to you? Right? Absolutely. How many of you have said that? Some of you are going, I'm not, I'm not raising my hand. I know where this is going. <laughs> this is actually a well meaning statement. It's intended to bring comfort, it's intended to bring encouragement. There's just one problem it's not accurate, it's not true. It's actually a distortion of a Bible verse that says something different and relates to something different. And this is one of uh, many uh, sayings, these little cliches and phrases that you'll find even, even in the church where people will say this to others or we've said it to others or have had it said to us that actually is not biblically accurate and may not even be true. And so we're going into this series called Good Sayings Gone Bad, where we're going to take the next several weeks looking at common phrases in our culture, even in the church, that have rolled off our lips at some point probably, that have rolled off the lips of others trying to speak encouragement into our life, that when you actually challenge them and look closer, you realize they're, they're not accurate. They've just become kind of this traditional saying that we apply to certain situations. You know, God warns us in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, that there's going to be people who swerve and wander from God's word and God's truth, and they're going to teach others without accuracy. That there's going to be people who make these confident claims, but without real understanding. And we just don't want to be one of those people nor do we want to be led astray or influenced by someone who's trying to bring inaccurate information into our life, whether intentionally or unintentionally. So that's why we're going after this series. Why does it matter? Because God's called us to be givers and receivers of His truth. And often we accidentally will spread false theology, false doctrine, and false hope by contributing to the adoption of ideas that aren't accurate or aren't biblical. And because what we believe determines our behavior and our actions, if we're rooting our beliefs in false ideas, in these sayings, if you will, and if we act on them, it can actually lead us into error, which can then stunt our spiritual growth. It can negatively impact our relationships with others. It can negatively impact our relationship with God. It can even negatively impact your eternity in certain statements. Well, God tells us in Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. So we want to be alert to not let philosophical or spiritual error or human tradition leak into our theology and to pull us away from Jesus and from what he has said so for example, God won't give you more than you can handle. Here's the reality. Yes, He will. God's going to give you more than you can handle. And here's why. Because He wants you to rely on Him, not yourself. And so when we say God's not going to give you more than you can handle, who's does it sound like you have to trust in? Yourself. But we know we're supposed to rely on God. God created us to need Him. God created us to rely on Him. The problem is, we don't want to. We want to be independent. We want to be strong. Uh, We want to be self-sufficient. We don't want to feel weak. We don't want to be perceived as weak. And so uh, this whole concept of relying on God is distasteful to our flesh, but in reality, we are weak, and we are needy of God. And so we need to rely on him. Now, don't get me wrong. The reality is God will allow you to handle much on your own. He'll allow you to accomplish much in your own strength. But inevitably, you are going to come up against something that you can't buy your way out of, you can't talk your way out of, and you can't work your way out of. And then who you truly rely on becomes very evident. So we are God-dependent people. No matter how self-reliant, and how self sufficient we really want to be. So, God will give us more than we can handle, but He will not give us more than He can handle. And that's the trick. Well, where did this saying come from? Where did this phrase originate from? I want to take you to the Bible verse that's been basically hijacked and has been morphed into the same. And it's found in Second Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So turn in your Bibles, or if you don't have one, you can look on the screen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. says here, no, what's the word? Temptation. No, temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be, what? Tempted beyond your ability. But with, uh, oh, what's that word? temptation. He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The context of this passage is what? It was mentioned three times. What's the context of the passage? Temptation. Isn't it awesome to know that our God will never, ever, 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 ever allow you to be in a situation of temptation that you can't get out of? You'll never be trapped with temptation. You'll never be in an environment or a situation with so much temptation you can't get out. God always has a big, giant, illuminated exit sign when you're tempted. But the context of this passage is temptation. It's not general difficulties. It's not overwhelming hardships. It's not intense suffering. It's about temptation. And so that's where this verse kind of... uh, got morphed and changed into God's not going to give you something, something, What's the, anything, no, he's not going to give you temptation, but anything else, we're going to have to rely on him, now, in case you're not convinced that God won't give you more than you can handle, I thought it would be valuable just to look at a few people in scripture and what God put them in, just to see if the statement rings true. Let's start with a guy called Moses, all right? Moses, leading millions, estimates between three to five million Hebrews out of Egypt to the land of Canaan. He's chased by an army. He's wandering in the wilderness for 40 years with massive hunger, dehydration, sickness, disobedience, disgruntled people who want to kill you. There's betrayal from his family members. Sounds like something he can handle, right? He was in over his head. It was beyond his ability. And then his successor, right? Joshua. Joshua was going to take these people into the promised land. So to cross the River Jordan and then to possess the land and overtake the, the warrior people, the people living behind walled cities. He was supposed to go in there. Joshua was in over his head. Then you've got Noah. Build an ark. What's that? Well, it's his protection against a flood. What's that? Right? So here's Noah building this giant barge that's going to hold two of every species that when a worldwide flood comes and kills everybody, he and his family are going to be the only survivors. They're going to wait till everything dries out and then they're going to repopulate the earth. Yeah, you've got that, Noah. You go, buddy, all right? He's in over his head. You got Abraham. Leave everything you know. Leave everyone you know. I'm sending you to a land that you've never been to. And you, and oh, by the way, your barren wife, are going to create a nation of people that are going to be beyond the sand of the seashores. Abraham wasn't like, I got it. It was beyond his ability to handle. You got Esther. Man, her parents died. And then she's adopted by her uncle. And next thing she knows, she's in this massive beauty contest with thousands of other women for the heart of the king of Persia. And then she gets picked. And then in this whole process of being picked by this mighty king, she finds out one of his homies is trying to kill off her people. And so she's got to stand up to the king and approach him to protect the eradication of an entire people group, an entire genocide over her head beyond her ability to handle. Then there's this guy named Jonah. Go tell all your worst enemies about God's judgment. Yeah, that's going to go well. That's why Noah went the other way and then found himself as a piece of fish food for a season, right? Over his head. You've got Ruth. Man, a Moabite woman. She doesn't worship God. Her husband dies. She's stuck with her mother-in-law, Naomi. They go back to Bethlehem. She's living in a foreign country with foreign people. No husband. What's going to happen to me? She's not feeling like she can handle that moment. Then you got this guy. Some of you might have heard of him. His name is Job. Job. We're in Job right now with our Bible reading plan as a church. Loses everything, Right? loses his kids, loses his livestock, loses his possessions, loses his bodily health. The guy is reduced to barely surviving in a heap of ashes, scraping his nasty, diseased skin with a piece of clay. How amazing would it have been if one of his best buddies came up to him, which his best buddies weren't a lot of help, but what if they would have just tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, Joe, don't worry. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Job is going to want to stick that piece of clay pot in that guy's eyeball. I'm just saying. Because he's sitting there going, what have I done wrong? I, didn't, I haven't done anything wrong. I've lost everything. This is over my head. This is beyond my ability to handle. You've got Elisha standing up for God in the face of 450 bloodthirsty prophets, the false gods, a king and his wife that want to kill you. And you've got Mary, a young virgin who God says, Surprise, you're pregnant, but don't worry, that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we just need to convince your fiance and your family that you weren't sleeping around. How do you think Mary felt in over her head? It was beyond her ability to handle. All the disciples of Jesus, as I followed Jesus, walked with Jesus, and heard his teaching and participated in the miracles, they were in over their head. When I met with the creative team a couple weeks ago, and we just got out a post-it note and just started writing down all the names of all the people in the Bible that we could think of that just were in over their heads. You know, we got all these names, and then someone writes, "You know, this, always got to be that one, right? And someone writes, everybody but Jesus. Yep, everybody in the Bible, right, other than Jesus. But even looking at Jesus, who's God in the flesh, there's that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is hours away from being crucified, that there is the Son of God in Gethsemane. He's saying that he's grieved to the point of death, and he's in anguish, praying with drops of blood falling from his head, and God the Son is asking God the Father, please take the cup from me. It's so heavy. And in his humanity, there was that weakness felt. God gave them all more than they could handle, but not more than he could handle. And there was this reliance on God that's so needed. Another one of the people in the Bible that clearly understood this was the Apostle Paul. For those of you who may not be familiar with the Apostle Paul, he was a Jewish man who hated early Christians. He made it his personal mission to eradicate them, to kill them. And so he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And his heart was changed. But you know what? It wasn't immediate for everyone around him. The Jews saw him as a traitor, so they tried to kill him all the time. The Christians didn't trust him because they thought he was playing them. And so they didn't want that. So you look at the life of Paul. Here's a guy that's traveling everywhere as a missionary with this incredible burden to just be used by God and be faithful and people are trying to kill him and he's been beaten, he's been whipped, he's been stoned and uh, by the way, that's if you're new to church that's not a reference to drugs, that means people are throwing rocks at him until he dies that's what their hope is, he's been shipwrecked and the guy's life has been beat up he's experienced incredible persecution and then he writes something to the early church that we see in the book of 2nd Corinthians, I want to, uh, you to turn there with me, 2nd Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and here's what the Lord speaks through the pen and through the lips of the apostle Paul, who has written to Christians who live in Corinth, which is an ancient Greek city, encouraging them about suffering, and he says this, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction, isn't that just a great word, it's not one to, it's not great to experience, but it's so descriptive, this affliction, this affliction, that we experienced in Asia. And he's talking about persecution. He says, For we were so utterly burdened, please repeat these next few words with me, beyond our strength. The Apostle Paul was burdened beyond his strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we received the sentence of death. The Apostle Paul is saying, The affliction that has been allowed into my life is so heavy, so painful, that I feel like I got a death sentence. It's beyond my ability to handle. And then he says something so critical. He says, but that was to make us, please repeat this next part with me, rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. If God the Father is going to raise Jesus Christ from the grave, what can't he handle? And so you see this incredible reliance but these afflictions were allowed into his life, so he would rely on God, realizing nothing was outside of God's control. God will give us more than we can handle. But he's not going to give us more than he can handle. So the danger of saying God won't give you more than you can handle, is if we're not careful, it can do some different error in our life. One error is it can make us look inward instead of upward. To look into ourselves for what strength we have instead of the strength that God has. So we need to look upward, if you will, metaphorically. We need to look to the Lord. Uh, I was working through this with Kevin, who led worship this morning. We were in one of the side classrooms, and I was talking about that. I said, we want to help our people on Sunday not to look inward, but to look upward. I look up. And there at the very tip of this very tall ceiling in one of the classrooms is a piece of paper with the word God on it. Now, my first, think, my first thought was, like, who on earth got all the way up there and stuck that to the ceiling? I thought that was funny, you know? And then I thought, how cool. How cool, because if I didn't look up, I wouldn't have seen God. And so it's just a good reminder. I thought it was very clever. I found out later it was left over from our devotional times with sports camp. You know, that was part of the devotional time. But it's like we have to look to God. We don't look to ourselves, we look to God. And here's 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 an unfair position we put people in sometimes when we say, don't worry, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Because some people are going through so much pain, they're going, I'm breaking here. I'm about to lose my mind. I'm tapping out. Are you sure God's got the right person? Because I think he gave me something, something someone else was supposed to handle. And he got confused because I'm about to snap. And when someone comes along and says, but God's not going to give you more than you can handle, they might go, but I'm not handling it. So I guess my faith is flawed. My relationship with God is weak. I, I'm, I'm not who I should be. And all of a sudden we turn against ourselves because we're supposed to handle it. We're not supposed to handle it. We're supposed to rely on God who can handle it on our behalf. You no, know, you heard that video of the Hyde family. My goodness. Any parent or grandparent realizing the, the thought of, and some of you have had this happen in your life, the thought of losing a child. I have a question for you. If you were to stand next to someone hours after their loss of child, would you dare say to them, God's not going to give you more than you can handle? It doesn't fit. But would you say, look, you probably feel like this is beyond anything you can handle, but God can handle it for you. He's there for you. And I don't know why, and I don't know how, but just know I'm praying for you. I'm with you if you need anything. We, we try to look, help them look upward, not inward. So yes, He's going to give us more than we can handle. Why? So we can rely on Him. And when I say rely on Him, I want to elaborate for a minute. We're talking about relying on God's presence. When we rely on God, we're talking about relying on His presence. This is God saying to you, I am with you. This is us saying, He is with me. And the beauty is that as followers of Christ, once you come to that place of faith in Christ where you realize that you're sinful and you're broken and you turn from your sin and you, you turn to Jesus and trust in his death for your sin, and trust in his resurrection for your victory over death and sin, and for your future you know, glory in heaven, when you do that, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in you. And so the believer has the presence of God in you. It's interesting, some worship songs talk about like, hey, Holy Spirit, we're gonna invite you into this room. And I'm going, you got hundreds of Christians in the room with the Holy Spirit in them. It's like the Holy Spirit waiting in the foyer for an invitation to come in. Like, what's going on, all right? He's here. And he's here as we're gathered. And he's here while you're sitting in your, on your couch, in your room, bawling your eyes out because something so painful is going on in your life. We rely on his presence. He says, I am with you. We're going to see some verses later that speak to that specifically during a time of worship and prayer. So when we say we rely on God's we um, uh, rely on God, we're talking about relying on his presence. We're also talking about relying on his power. This is God saying my strength, not yours. This is God saying um, this is us saying his strength, not mine. So we don't want to give into thinking we have to you know, summons up our strength to handle it. God will give you the strength to handle it. So it's not about your capacity of what you can handle. It's about God's capacity of what he can handle, and his capacity is limitless. And so when we see verses like Ephesians 6.10, which says, finally, be strong in who? The Lord. Lord. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We're talking about relying on God's strength. When we see Psalm 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help. We understand that God's power is readily available for those who turn to him and trust in him. So relying on God is relying on his presence and relying on his power. So yes, God will give you more than you can handle, but he will never give you more than he can handle. I want to look at some modern situations. Obviously, this is not exhaustive, but when you look at this list, think about, Uh, What you've been through, what some of the people you know and love have been through loss of a child, you could add their spouse, sibling, loved one, parenting, especially teens, Lord have mercy. Okay, marital strife, divorce, physical suffering, addiction, financial difficulties, estrangement with someone you love, you've got sickness, you've got caring for aging parents, you've got job loss, abuse prolonged singleness, infertility, same-sex attraction, bullying, unplanned pregnancy, slander, adversarial issues. You've got a burden for the people in your life that don't know Christ and who are not going to spend eternity in heaven. Like if you see something on this list that you either have been through or are going through, raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Yes, God allows situations like this into our life so that we can rely on him. Because here's the reality. We are not going to call upon God in our success. We're going to call upon God in our distress. And so pain is God's most unpleasant teacher. It's also his best teacher. And we've talked about this before. There are certain lessons in life you will only learn through pain. There's a certain reliance on God. There's a certain experiential part of your relationship with God you'll never experience until you're in a place where he's all you've got and you rely on him. We just got to get ourselves out of the way. So he's going to give us more than we can handle. He's just not going to give us more than we can handle you know, I look back on some of those difficult moments in my life that I shared with you earlier. And there were some of those moments I tried to handle it. I kind of bought that little lie of, you know, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. And so I tried to handle it. And every time I tried to handle it, guess what happened? (laughs) I prolonged my pain. I botched things. It didn't go well. Or it went well for a little bit. I'm like, woohoo, this is awesome. And then it came crumbling down, right? But every time I tried to turn to the Lord and rely heavily on Him. I can sense His power. And I can sense His presence in my life in ways I would have never had experienced before. That doesn't mean that He took away all the situations. Remember, God has not promised to spare you from suffering and pain. He's just promised to be with you in your suffering and pain. We go, really? We don't like that. Well, that's the way it is. <laughs> and we have to accept that and he's not going to give you more than he can handle. There definitely is a part of this phrase that if you want to push on really hard and apply at a very high spiritual maturity level, can be true, that if Christ is in you, and the Holy Spirit of God is in you, and the power and presence of God is in you, sure, there's that place where you can say, well, he's not going to give you in Christ more than you can handle, but that's usually not what's being said when people say that. That's usually on a whole nother level down when we're really trying to perpetrate this idea that it's up to us. So what do we do with this? Well, I'm gonna invite the worship team out right now because I want us to spend some time with the Lord over this. But before we do, where do we go from here? Well, the first is this. The first action step is increase your level of dependence on God. Wherever you're at today, and those of you watching online, same thing. Wherever you're at in your relationship with your reliance, with your dependence on God, I'm sure there's room for growth. There's, there's growth in my life. I need to rely even more on God. I need to depend even more on God. So how it manifests itself in our lives, in our prayer life, in our time in the Word, and just our ability to to let go a little bit and hold on to God and watch how He handles our situations, those are the ways we start to increase our reliance on our dependence on God. So whatever that looks like for you, take those steps toward greater reliance, greater dependence on God. The pressure's off for you to try to handle it. For some of you, that means you need Christ. You're you're hearing me talk and you're going, this relationship with God you're talking about, I don't have that. Well, the step for you is to get in relationship with Christ and this God that we're talking about whose presence and power will live inside of you only happens when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And you trust in his death on the cross to, to repair your relationship with God and to forgive you of your sins. That step right there is your next action step. And maybe you're not ready for that, but maybe you're just, you just need to keep coming back. You need to start talking to your Christian friends more and really explore what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But if today's the day that you're going to surrender your life to Christ, as we worship, as we pray over the next you know, 10 minutes or so, uh, you have a response card in your program. You can take that out and at some point in time just write, I'm giving my life to Christ. I need to take that step to Christ and then rip that off. Give us an email. Give us a phone number. Put it in the baskets we're going to receive in a little bit. And we're going to follow up with you to tell you how to grow in this new relationship with Jesus. So the first step, grow in our reliance, grow in our dependence. Second step, fix this when you hear it. Please fix this when you hear it. Replace it with something more accurate, more upward than inward. I don't know what it will sound like. Maybe just quote a verse. Maybe you take what we've talked about today and say, God's given you something that's beyond your ability to handle, but it's not beyond his. His. Let's go to God. Let's, go to, let's pray. Let's, talk, let's seek his presence. Let's seek his power. Just fix that when you hear it and push people more toward Christ. Well, I want us to transition from really talking about God in this matter and really talking to God in this matter. We're going to enter in time of extended, really, worship and prayer. I think the appropriate prayer we need to pray first is we need to confess. We need to admit where we've tried to handle it when it's not our place to handle it. And so here's a prompt I'd love for you to pray around. God, I confess that I've tried to handle you fill in the blank. I've tried to handle that relationship on my own. I've tried to handle that addiction on my own. I've tried to handle this situation on my own. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I thought it was up to me. It's just a chance for you to, to speak to the Lord and worship the Lord. I'm going to have you pray, and then in a minute... Kevin's going to transition us to just stand. This is a way that we can posture ourselves to proclaim. And we're going to sing some songs and some lyrics. We're going to read and hear some verses, what God has said about these matters, and just worship the Lord. But right now, would you just pray with me, Father? We confess that our default, when difficulty comes, is to handle it on our own, where we try to be God instead of letting God be God. So right now, Lord, would you hear the prayers of confession of your people as they confess the things that they've tried to handle on their own without relying on you? Just pray right now, just between you and the Lord.